welcome to episode 87 of Down the Rabbit Hole and uh, this is the second part of our two-part Spotify uh, program with our guest uh, Dan Patrick Coyne, an English composer slash musician. Mm -hmm. My uh, colleague, my buddy Rafa is nodding at me <laughs> sagely across the studio because I've managed to get this far without making a mistake. So, um, so Rafa, yeah. the first episode was very interesting. It was interesting and I think it's super interesting also for uh, maybe even also new musicians or yeah. somebody that would like to release their music somehow. Yeah. I guess we cannot deny that nowadays uh, Spotify and many other platforms that can release this kind of material like uh, Distro Kid or something like that make it easy for somebody to release but there's always a catch in some, <laughs> everything oh. ah, and I want to remind everybody that this is part of our pandemic lost pandemic <laughs> recordings <laughs> yeah. yeah our pandemic lost year at least. lost year not yes recordings, but, uh -huh. uh, yeah so we're kind of catching up now with the uh, stuff that we recorded either during the pandemic that we had to do remotely or a few pieces we had prior to the pandemic but we're moving towards new material and a new format coming soon yes so let's listen to episode 87 with dan coin and we'll talk at the end cool society hello my name is daniel patrick cohen welcome again to down the rabbit hole um, we are talking again because there's plenty of interest about uh, Daniel Eck, who uh, infuriated musicians recently by saying that artists can no longer record music once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough. And that's Daniel Eck of Spotify, right? Spotify. And that's Daniel Eck of Spotify, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, and he is, and so and, uh, towards, towards the end of our last show, uh, you were asking me, what should we do? about the, the whole kind of predicament. If, if Spotify is perhaps not the answer to uh, musicians' troubles, then what, what, would, what would we do? Um, mm -hmm. So, so, that so what, what do we I, do? So what do we do, right? <laughs> okay, so in the history, this is what I'd say. In the history of music, uh, broadly speaking, music costs money rather than making money, right? In the mm -hmm. history of music. It's, it's, um, it's not a, a profit-making exercise, really. It's a cost consuming exercise and so historically it's it's required support from wealthy people from the church or from the state right, right. and now what what happened in the middle of, middle of the 20th century is you suddenly got the record industry which is i would describe as this temporary blip to this logic because suddenly you could mass produce huge amounts of records and make loads and loads of money uh, just by virtue of having so many people all uh paying money to get the, get this music. And people liked having lots of music in their possession. And so there's this temporary kind of exception to this logic. Oh, it was like uh, the beginnings of democratisation of music in a way, wasn't it? I, th I think so. I, even, even accepting the fact that the record companies were making, some people were making huge amounts more money than other people, well, there's still, there's much more going around. Go on, Raph, Raph. The thing is that the industry started to get more and more complex and you started to get a lot of intermediary people that you also yeah. had to pay, reducing the, the amount of money that each person would receive besides the main company. 
ending mm-hmm. up with the artist receiving also in time yeah. less payment as so, well. So yeah, so you had a number of people in the supply chain getting their slice, right? Mm-hmm. And as the years passed, it got super complicated compared to how the industry was originally. Mm. Well, yeah. Yeah, the corporate suits got involved from, whereas at the beginning it was just people with, literally people with presses for vinyl or whatever, and then it was a very direct kind of industry, I think, in that artists used to, as I remember, not personally, I'd just like to mind, <laughs> um, but from other reading I've done of it, uh, artists used to go into studios and they literally used to cut the master vinyl in the studio as they recorded the piece. And then they just send that off to what the equivalent was of a copy shop, right, to get more copies. And, and, that's, that. and that's how it began. And then, of course, the suits get involved and it all gets a bit corporate and it all gets a bit... And then it all starts, everybody starts feeding out of the same trough, right? Which is when it all fell apart, I think. This is uh, Frank Zappa describes what you're saying as uh, he's talking in the 80s in this wonderful video where he says we were better off with cigar chomping old guys who didn't understand the thing. <laughs> exactly. But were making so much money they would record anything. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then they were replaced by young A&R guys. And this is the beginning of the kind of the, the, the kind of mess that we got, got into. Yeah. And then, as we discussed la- last episode, you've got Napster and BitTorrent, which is, for me, the death knell of the whole thing. That's, that's yeah. the end of it, really. And yeah. I would describe Spotify as being like the last heave of the hangover of the whole, the whole <laughs> thing. Okay, so the question is, what, what, so what do we do? So I think, to an extent, we kind of have to return to this, what was what happening before. You need to have support from from the state and from wealthy people there's a uh, it's useful now that it's easier for wealthy people to support support the arts through crowdfunding and things and there are there are interesting uh, things to do with that and i think that should continue happening but it won't be it won't be enough on its own the other thing that needs to happen is a huge amount of government support i think i will just give you if you can cope with some numbers i'm going to give you a couple of numbers here are they uh, over 10 <laughs> three numbers. I've got three numbers. One of them is a year. I hope you'll forgive me. So in 2018, the Chancellor of uh, the United Kingdom, Philip Hammond, he pushed up the level of um, the higher threshold above which you pay the top level of income tax in the UK, right? So it's mm. saving rich people a bit of money. And that increase cost the government £300 million, and it was in the press for a day, and then people have got like forgot about it, right? The entire arts budget for the year was six hundred million pounds. Right. So part of what I would say is that governments are spending a tiny amount of money on the arts. I think they need to uh, accept that they the artists have had this huge hit with this because of BitTorrenting, really. Not really because of Spotify. BitTorrenting is the, is the thing, and BitTorrenting will not go away. So they have to accept this. They've had this hit. This is before we get into COVID and the loss of live music and whatever. But that that just makes everything I'm saying more. Um, urgent so we need to accept that and they need to flood the industry with money huge amounts of direct financing of art projects and then a second thing that governments could do is 
give people as something we've talked about before and something people talk about in Silicon Valley about universal basic in- income mm. where you actually give loads of musicians. I know loads of musicians say, and they mean it, that if you put a roof over my head and fed me, I would just do, I would, I would do my, do knock my the content out. Right? I yeah. would do, you know, I would, I would do it. And, and I, you know, I don't need extravagant things. We just, we would just get on with it. If you just fed me and put a roof over my head. And if the government actually provided that sort of support, that level of support for people, which I don't believe is impossible, and I think a growing number of people are thinking it's going to be possible, then you uh, again you create a bit more support for musicians who are to to um, to do do their stuff. So you're asking essentially for governments to recognise, like we were discussing before recording, that that music is an art form that needs to be re- recognised as being part of the cultural uh, fabric of society. I would say that it's even a very important part of society itself for its existence yeah. and uh, for humans, actually, to yeah. how so, can we so, say, relate or to uh, enjoy. So, so the music is, is beyond the profit motive, is your thing. Really? I think there are still a lot of artists that are just for the, let's say, for the art and not necessarily for the money, if they would get a proper amount of money to survive. Mm. And I think yes. we dis- we discussed before we recorded that there are some countries in the European Union, for example, that do pay artists a basic income so that they can focus on their art, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the, air, the air quotes. You like the air quotes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we include those in the notes? <laughs> air quoted there, but um, obviously it leads to what Dan was talking about, which is unfortunately, you know, if you if you have to go down that route of registering with some government agency that you produce a certain kind of music, they then start to do make value judgments about exactly what, so. Also, what, what I would doing. say, yeah. So that's why you need a multi-pronged thing. You need, mm. you need three, as I was saying, there's three things. One is that what wealthy people need to continue to support, support the arts. There is, there is space for charitable funding and for just directly private funding things. And also, if the government provides this safety net, then musicians can go and do whatever they want, and it doesn't have to be assessed for quality by the government. And then on top of that, you have stuff that the government considers, you know, through... Uh, the state cultural institutions and whatever they 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 do that, but it all the flood of, of funding needs to come from all of that for the for, for the whole thing to be saved. And it's all acknowledging that the record industry has dis- has gone. Oh, it's oh, it's on its way out. At it's the very a, least. it's a dinosaur kind of approach currently, right? And and when you talk about um, kind of. Uh, money coming from people with money, right? uh, kind of uh, philanthropic kind of activities. Um, I presume at the moment that is in the form of direct grants that somehow people, artists maybe can apply for, or there's some, there's some well, well, specific... Not, how does that work when if people with money want to fund musicians or visual artists whatever how how do they do that currently well they would get there they give their their fund they do fund bodies they fund charitable bodies who go and then pass on the funding to 
to uh, people. But there are, are people that just do do things. Just there's still people that do things just just for fun. They just privately fund something just for their um, for their. What so, so for the love for the, for the love from you know in the same way that I do something. You know, I would do uh, the, my part for 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 the love. Some people do still um, fund things just for uh, for for the love of the thing itself. Mm-hmm. So, and that, I, so and I, I would just say that it needs to carry on. It's not enough on its own. I'm just saying that that would need to that that should carry on. Well, you, I'm sure you're both familiar with this uh, um, developing um, um, style of commercial operation called a social enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. So, so a social enterprise is a business, but um, it doesn't actually, it's not necessarily for profit. It pays salaries and wages and all that stuff, uh, but it's kind of owned by the people who uh, are in it a lot of the time. So this is a fairly recent, uh, I'm talking about the last 10, 15 years maybe, that this kind of enterprise has become possible and certainly in the uk you can actually register a company as a social enterprise and it has certain tax classifications and whatnot so it it may be for example that somebody needs to come up with a smart idea of how to use a social enterprise to channel funds to artists for example so rather than artists having to figure out how to approach Bill and Melinda Gates to fund their new album or, you know, <laughs> that there is a kind of a, some kind of actual entity that that people with money contribute funds to and then they just act globally or whatever um, to, to administer these windfall gifts or whatever. Well, I, I think no that, such that, thing that, exists, yeah. presumably. Well, I think that I think all the, I think that stuff does exist, and I, all, all I'm, my only comment on that is that it shouldn't stop, <laughs> because if you because if you leave the if you leave the government to to do to choose every to fund everything, then you've got problems with uh, the government controlling the the stylistic applying values, which is, which, is that, which is problematic. So you've got to have this multi pronged thing. But you've got to have this armed arms length kind of involvement, if any, right? So that they're not directly uh, involved. So, obviously, what you're talking about, I'd just like to broaden it out slightly, because what you're talking about, obviously, you're talking about musicians, but the same thing applies to visual artists, doesn't it, for example? So, if you are a gifted visual artist and you're painting or whatever, how the hell do you earn money doing that, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like you know your latest well, painting, album is your is your painting. Yeah? A painter can, of course, sell the painting. Still, they, they can. What I'm saying is, with digital music, you can't actually make. All right. I mean, we are going into it. We are going towards right. a situation where you actually it's impossible to make any sort of money from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a just a slight difference. I'm not saying that the world's the the art world is. <laughs> It's, I'm sure it's just as as much of a mess as the <laughs> like the <laughs> digital art world. I'm sure it's just as much of a mess as everything else, and yeah. uh, and you've got all sorts of money laundering stuff going on at the top, which I think is really funny yeah. um, and tragic. Um, but uh, so there are other problems there. But I would just make the point that you, you, the music is slightly different in the sense that you can still sell a visual, you can construct something visual and go and and you are still able to go and sell it. You can sell the original, obviously, but obviously digital copies are a problem as well, right? 
sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But people have an interest in the original. <laughs> Whereas no one's got an interest in my original, you know, like my original tracks. In Your original <laughs> Yes, or right. maybe a passing interest. But <laughs> well, just, just, just before we finish, who was that uh, band who recorded an album and the, they only made the one copy of it and they sold it to a millionaire for like three million quid or something, something like that? Well, that's really clever. I like that model very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. There was a, there was a band, <laughs> a, an actual well-known band, created an album in the studio and only made one copy of it and sold it to a, a multimillionaire. I can't remember the name of that band. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's the Wu-Tang Clan, it looks like. Once uh, upon a time, Shaolin, the most expensive work of music ever sold. It may well be. Album recorded in secret over six years and a single copy sold in 2015. <laughs> how, how much did it go for? Do you know? Let's have a little look here. Was it a million or three million or? Uh, it cannot be played during listening parties and cannot be commercially exploited until 2103. And I don't have a number. One, uh, 7.3. No, 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 no. One million dollars bidding, something like that. Oh, a winning bid go. passing one million dollars. Yeah, there we go. There you go. There's an alternate model. Yeah, definitely. Very clever, very clever. Selling music like visual art. Eh? Yes, yes. Yeah, that, that's a really great point, actually, yeah. Mm-mm. There you go. So then you are giving right to what uh, the CEO of Spotify said, that eventually musicians will become content creators. <laughs> <laughs> or content slaves, maybe. Oh, they're already that now, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Any final final remarks, words, Dan? Uh, final words. Well, uh, I've enjoyed speaking to you guys about this topic, which is very close to my soul, and it's what all all of my friends are now on Facebook talking about this this stuff. Um, so yeah, we have to just wish ourselves luck, keep strong, and so you'll, uh, you'll wait be for en- things to change. <laughs> you'll be encouraging your Facebook pals to listen to this. Uh, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. perhaps. Oh, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. I like that. Perhaps. Yeah, okay. For sure, then. For sure. Okay. Okay, guys. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, thanks, Bye, Rafa. And Dan, it was interesting. Thank you. <laughs> and that's how we wrap part two of Spotify. Well. Uh, we would like to thank a lot uh, Dan Coyne for participating with us. Yes. And it was uh, really interesting to see what's Spotify really... What it's like from like, an actual... And from his own perspective. Personal, personal experience. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very clear that uh, it could be convenient, but at the same time, not so fair yeah. for most of the musicians. Yeah. Although... We have examples of people getting overpaid, probably. Well, I think in deals, as we've discussed before, it's this model that seems to be perpetuated on the internet, particularly, which is what is called this long tail model. Which mm-hmm. is that, if you can imagine, like a right angle line, and it's like a literally the graph is a vertical line, and then it curves down, and then bumps along the bottom. Yes. And basically the vast majority of people are bumping along the bottom getting next to nothing and a handful of people 
are on this vertical bit getting everything. Everything there. And it's fundamentally unfair. For sure. And uh, like I was mentioning also before, not not even the old model was... No, that was very good either. That so was like, rubbish, right? Yeah, you mentioned something very interesting as well, that in the end, those new models are based in an already failed model. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they're doing it so incredibly efficiently and reaching such a wider audience. It's now yeah. obviously global reach. Mm-hmm. Um, so now everybody gets to take part in the misery. It's, uh, yes. It's great. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good thing, I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> well, if you have any comments, any questions, just send us your comments uh, through all common channels, Facebook, uh, Twitter, email, whatever you find uh, a way to contact us. Well, maybe we are there, probably. Maybe you have a better idea. We'd love to do exactly. a where we actually get people in the know uh-huh. pitching a better model. Oh, that would be very interesting, actually. Yes. All right. See you in the next episode down the rabbit hole.